Hi, uh, welcome to the show. How about you introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Harry Tufts. I'm the writer and coder of A House of Many Doors. And and what's that game about? So that's a game, it's just hit Kickstarter. It's a game where you are exploring a, um, it's an RPG, and you're exploring the house, which is a huge dimension of stolen architecture, and um, it's heavily features uh, poetry and um, procedural generation and it's very very story focused okay and you released it today on kickstarter and it's it's i think it's past 50 percent funding already right it has which is absolutely astonishing to me (laughs) so for the audience out there what's a website they can visit to find out more information about it while they're listening or something like that uh, if they want to go to um, pixeltrickerygames.com, that's my website. It's got a link to the Kickstarter and the Steam Greenlight campaign on there. Uh, and uh, also a devlog if they're interested in the game's you know, past few months of uh, history. Okay. What, what inspired you to make the game? Well, it's something that I talk about uh, towards the start of my devlog. Um, there's a lot of different things which have led to me making A House of Many Doors. One of them is playing Planescape Torment back in the day. That kind of was a very formative game in terms of how I think about games in general and RPGs in particular. And another was playing Sunless Sea uh, at the start of the uh, at the end of last year, which I thought was a very very innovative and amazing game. And I thought you know it was kind of a sea change, haha, in how RPGs are made, um, essentially, basically. And also. I've had the house in my head for quite a while as a setting. It was something which I didn't quite know how to explore. And I decided that making a game about it would be a very, very, very um, interesting way to have someone look around. Okay. So you were inspired to make the game. And then um, what inspired you to actually take some steps to to, to do it? Or what were the first steps that you took? Because, um, you know, a lot of people say they want to make a game. And they don't necessarily go through with it. Um, I guess what were the next steps once you kind of had this feeling that, hey, I should make a game? Um, I think my first steps were to start looking into coding. Uh, It was something which I really, I really for a long time wanted to design games um, and had in fact designed games in my spare time just without any coding experience or anything like that. and, you know, it was just game designs on paper without any actual programming behind them. It was just, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I could do this? But I can't because I can't code. And yeah. so all you have to do is just kind of sit down and watch tutorials on YouTube, which is what I started out doing, and just force yourself to learn and experiment. Um, it's, what? Yeah, go ahead. It, it's, it's very difficult to... It's very it, easy to get discouraged, I think, um, because... Coding is something that just doesn't work, doesn't work, doesn't work, and then it suddenly works. Yeah. Um, and it's just getting past that initial barrier, really. And I think it's something that everyone should try because it's really, really fun. What What tool did you use for the final game or the final project? I'm making the game in Game Maker Studio, uh, okay. which I think is a really fantastic resource for 2D games. And... On YouTube, then, did you just check out tutorials on Game Maker Studio, or, or how did you get into the programming via YouTube? Was it just 
watching tutorials of other tools and, and how to make games there? Or It was actually tutorials by Tom Francis, um, who's the maker of Gunpoint. Okay. And he has an absolutely fantastic way of explaining um, the process of coding in Game Maker to the extent that I feel like what he really offers is he can explain the things that most good coders kind of assume you already understand. And if you're starting yeah. at a very basic level, it can be difficult for someone who has changed the way they think about codes to think back to how they thought about it before they could code. Okay. But Tom Francis is just very, very, very good at just really getting down to the nuts and bolts and explaining through step by step to the point that things which should be very difficult for a new person are actually um, become very intuitive. So I'd recommend anyone check that out if they're interested in developing in Game Maker. Okay. And after you, you know, get some of these tutorials and you start building your game, what, what were you thinking mm -hmm. at that point? Um, what was, was the action? Well, was the actual development also changing your concept in your head of how the game would work, or some of the, or did it cause any changes in the game design itself? Or? Yeah, I think it did, and it was a kind, of, it was an incremental process where there are lots of steps along the way where I thought it would be interesting if I could do this, and then I tried it um, and found out that I could do it eventually, or decided that it was something that wouldn't work in the context of the game, and. It was, it was a bunch of small decisions, a lot of the time exploring procedural generation, which is something I'm really interested in. And just a lot of a lot of times along the way in the development of this game, I started looking into little kind of procedural generation things that I could do. And that ended up becoming kind of a big, big focus in the game as a whole, just because it interested me at so many different points in development. Um, can you talk about uh, what specific types of procedural generation you have in the game? Yes, uh, at the moment you have a procedurally generated crew. Um, so you have a few characters who are completely hand designed with their own quests and stories and so on. But also you have a few crew members who, you know, their names and how they look are just generated by the game and they don't have anything associated with them, but I'm hoping players will get attached to them anyway. Um, and, okay. you know, they can die in combat and uh, that is hopefully going to be tragic. Um, you've also got procedurally generated scenery the entire house is um basically uh, just procedurally generated architecture that you can explore um and that's something that with the time i've got over the next few months is hopefully something i can ramp up and make really really interesting i've got a lot of good ideas about ways to make um exploring the house uh very interesting because of the procedural generation elements and also there's procedurally generated poetry which is the way that the player kind of advances and understands the world around them um, which is another thing I'm really keen to develop especially because it's attracted a lot more interest than I thought it would I thought it was something that I was interested in that other people might not be but it's had a really good reaction from the Kickstarter so I'm going to really um, pursue that and see how far I can take it yeah can you talk about how you're blending poetry inside the game itself um, like in, in what way are you specifically doing that well at the moment you are you basically you roam around the house and you explore and you have experiences um, which are communicated via short stories or something um, and sort of choices that you make. So you might have an experience which leads to you have the player having a moment of melancholy and that's an actual item in the game that you pick up is kind of in your uh, inventory would be a moment of melancholy that you'd had. 
and that's a purely abstract thing. It's not an actual item, but it's just it's it's a it's a memory basically. And then you can convert um, a certain number of moments of melancholy into a sad poem. And so, you know, a sad poem will be something which will procedurally decide that okay, I've got to have a few sad words in the title, <laughs> you know, and. There's a lot of fun to be had in the poetry, in the kind of poem titles at the moment because they get very strange because obviously the computer doesn't understand what's appropriate. Um, yeah. And that element of slight farce in the poetry is mingled with a kind of self-seriousness which just comes with the way it's procedurally generated is really fun and I want to just push that as hard as I can. Um. Do the poems have any direct impact on the gameplay itself, or is it mainly like an expressional thing? I want it yeah. to be both. Um, okay. The poems are actually one of the principal ways of earning XP, you know, because okay. there are stats in the game and you can level them up. And writing poems is the way to do that, um, which okay. is, probably isn't realistic to life, but it's no less realistic than earning XP through hitting an orc with a sword. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the poems, do they actually, if you maybe create certain types of poems, do you get special power? I mean, aside from XP, special powers or maybe special power-ups or anything like that? Have you thought in, thought about that or what are your thoughts on that? You don't get special um, powers from the poems. Um, okay. That's something I might change, but not right now. You just have a, you have a canon of poetry that you've written, which you can kind of refer back to and look at the, you know, funny titles the computer spat out. Yeah. Um, and the more you write, the more famous you become in the game world, and you might attract you. You'll, you know, you will advance your career as a poet. You will attract attention. And there are characters in the house for whom poetry is more than just poetry. For whom poetry is um, a kind of a cult thing, which will grant special powers. Okay. And that's something which the player will have access to if they uh, level up their poetry <laughs> enough. But I doubt it's not going to be expressed mechanically so much as in the story, I think. Okay. And so as you were developing in Game Maker, did you, I know they have like an active forum. Yeah. There. Did you start posting, I guess, updates or builds of your game there? Or what were your thoughts at that point? Um, I think I probably should have done, but I didn't. Um, just because when I first started developing the game, it was, um, I was I wasn't quite I didn't quite understand how important marketing is for an indie game, um, and it was just something that I did in my spare time. It became something that really consumed my spare time, but I still thought it was more of a hobby than anything else. And that only changed in the last four or five months. What what um, what inspired you to change your perspective on marketing? I mean. I think it's it was a it was a gradual change. It was something where, okay. you know, it, it, it's you, I read an article here and there saying that actually marketing is really important. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Maybe it is. And as I actually got involved in the indie game scene more and more, and I started trying to get my game out there and get it talked about, I just realised how difficult it was. And you know, I don't. Um, I, th I think a lot of it's down to luck, to be honest, which okay. isn't helpful to tell anyone. But there are ways that you can kind of capitalize yeah. on what you've got and try and be as um, good as possible with what you have. And then that will increase the chances of luck being in your favor, I think. Okay. Yeah, because I noticed even today, like you had an article from Rock, Paper, Shotgun, right? 
I know. I did not expect that. <laughs> so, I mean, like, what? What? I mean, and that's pretty amazing, yeah. given that the game yeah. is not released yet. I mean, I know it's there's a Kickstarter today. I mean, still, yeah. but I mean, that's amazing. So, I guess, what what were the process or what were the steps that you think created that kind of lucky event? You know? <laughs> I don't know. It's very difficult to say. I think... Yeah. I mean, you did have it's an alpha. The fact that I, yeah. yeah, I have I have an alpha, but I only released the alpha very recently. Okay. I think the devlog was really important. I had a blog that I was updating consistently, talking about the process of development. I think any indie should really, really um, look into writing devlogs because they are something which people are just interested in and will really and you know even if only a few people are reading it, you never know who those people are. Yeah. Um, and. And also Twitter was massively helpful. I've become, you know, I didn't use Twitter much um, before I started uh, using it for the game. I still mainly just tweet from my game account rather than my personal account. Yeah. And Twitter's where I've met a lot of people and spoken to a lot of people who otherwise I'd have never been able to come across. So I really think Twitter's, Twitter and Devlog are the two key things, I think, for me, for what um, I've been doing over the last few months. With with Twitter, do you, do you just respond to other game developers or? Yeah, I think that is. It bit of a kind of an echo chamber of indie developers talking to each other and following each other on Twitter for a, if you're an indie gamer, you're indie developer yourself. And I did wonder, you know, is there anyone who's actually going to play my game? who's actually following me or is it just people who are interested in you know <laughs> the development because they're developing their own okay um but you know people are uh, people outside that bubble do come in and the bubble is a good way of you know if someone's interested in indie games yeah. they will follow an indie developer and then they'll see another indie developer tweeting to them and then they might follow that indie developer um okay. so it is a bit of a bubble but also you know you can break through that um, it's just a matter of being persistent and um, having a consistent presence. Okay. And for your devlog, is it is it updated daily, weekly? What how, What's the frequency? Uh, it's updated weekly. I think daily you risk you you run the risk of not having enough to say every day yeah. um, to just by people reading. I think I actually tend towards. Uh, um, I think a bit too much, which is probably because because of my origins as like you know I'm a writer. Yeah. Um, I think the ideal happy medium is you should aim for kind of four to five hundred words, um, which people will just be able to breeze through, and then they'll keep the game fresh in their minds. I've consistently gone way above that, and I think I probably should cut that down in the future. What about YouTube? Did you look into YouTube uh, video updates or video devlog updates? Um, that's something which I think is a really, really good idea, which I haven't done. Um, okay. I think my game is actually a little less visual than a lot of games out there because there's a lot of text, um, and you know it's all about telling a story via text. If you've got a game which is primarily, my game is visual, but it's not. You know, a lot of the interesting stuff happens in text, and yeah. that's a bit more difficult to talk about on YouTube. If you've got something which just pops visually and makes people interested. I think YouTube is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, um, yeah. and it's massively useful to experiment with that and start putting devlogs up there. Um, you know, I, I should I should do it as well. <laughs> before before you started the game, were you doing like were you writing books, fantasy, fiction, novels like that, or? Yeah, I was. Um, 
and a lot of poetry, <laughs> which is why my game yeah. has that kind of focus. Um, yeah, I wrote a massive fantasy novel when I was 16, which is now one of the rewards in my Kickstarter because I think people will find it quite funny because of how bad it is. Um, and since then, I've just been writing short stories and um, starting novels without finishing them. Well, um, and and that brings up, I think, a good point, which is, did you ever try to put those novels on Kickstarter? You know, I... I f- Anyways, go ahead, go ahead. Um, I didn't. I don't think I ever considered it, really. Um, okay. Yeah, because that's what I was going to say, is that I feel like for yeah. a lot of creative people who are creative in other domains, yeah, just coming into the game field or kind of digital media allows them to express that creativity or gives them an audience that they wouldn't have gotten had they used just their their primary talents you know or their primary focus and um i mean i've just seen that where i've seen writers who just write but they don't necessarily embrace digital media or games or stuff like that and they they might have a small audience or they don't get that traction that they need to kind of grow and and get exposure and 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 then there are some people who do kind of develop like as you said you learned programming to an extent yeah. And you got better at that. And then that gave you a venue now for your writing, which, yeah. well, I don't know if I, if that's even the right way to look at it. Do you feel that writers can just still, there's still a venue just for pure writing or? I think there is still a venue for pure writing. And I think that it would be a shame if there wasn't, but I think also you can do so many interesting things with writing in games. And that's that that kind of tide of people doing these really interesting things in writing and games is just swelling and swelling at the moment. And it's the kind of thing that I just wanted to jump in and be a part of. Well, what what do you think about... Cause, because I've had this discussion before with some other um, people that I've interviewed, and it's like, where where's the place of writing in games? Because as I see it now, you look at a lot of the the like popular games just on YouTube, and I know it's not you know indicative of all the games out there, but... Surgeon Simulator, Goat Simulator, it's like these games just provide a venue or a catalyst for, you know, the the YouTube personalities or other people to just tell their own stories. But it's yeah. not really introduce it's not introducing passive writing as as a way to direct the narrative. You know, yeah. so so what are your thoughts on on where writing is going to go in games? I think that's the really interesting tension with writing in games is that um, it's something where a game can tell a story and a game can let a player tell a story. And some will emphasize one and some will emphasize the other. And there's an interesting tension between the two, I think. Um, You know, procedural generation, which is something that I've I've, I've already spoken about, but that's one way of playing with that that kind of boundary, you know. Okay. if a player has elements in their game which are unique to them, that becomes a very personal story and they feel like they're part of the telling of it. Um, you know, it, it, I suppose and to some extent it's a bit obvious to, to talk about this. Um, as just, But that is genuinely just where the interesting stuff is. It's Goat Simulator, you tell a story. It might not be a very, um, you know, it, it might not be an incredibly amazing transformative story yeah but it's a story about a goat that goes crazy and knocks over barrels or whatever and um you have fun telling it because it's quite funny um and you know it's just giving you tools to tell that story and that's why let's plays are popular you know yeah and so doesn't that conflict then with the approach you're taking with your current game 
I mean, where, where's the where's the dichotomy? And and maybe I'm just looking at what's successful now. Maybe a year from now there will be a completely different trend mm. with writing and, and its relationship to gaming that you know that's that that has more value. And so that's that's why I'm trying that's why I'm trying to dig into like you know the distinctions you're making. I don't you know I don't think that. Um... Games like Goat Simulator don't necessarily have value, but I think there's more of that kind of stuff uh, in games at the moment than games which talk about story in, you know, a more like like you know, in ways that are more where the story is a focus, where the game is telling a story and you are helping direct that story, um, and that's something which I think can be really, really, like, you know, that can be really, really fantastic for a player. Um, and that's in, kind of what I want to do. In, in what and ways? The, like, what, what ways can it be fantastic? And, and the reason why I'm pushing back is because, for me, I see it as mm. fiction, like, passive fiction. It's like, you know, before social media, yeah, people would watch pre-made content written by... Mm writers and you know directed and all this other stuff and 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 you know that did engage the audience until they had the option to create their own stories or share their own mm. you know their own experiences and then finally yes there's a there's a place for this kind of pre-made directed stuff but you see that you know the 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 number of users on this kind of participatory media or media where they're just expressing and sharing their own story is just so much greater it seems and and so that's yeah. why I wanted to know where you feel like, you know, so the way I see it is that, okay, there's passive storytelling where it's like mm-hmm. pre-made story where you're writing, you have content and mm-hmm. you're just introducing mm-hmm. it through the game itself. And then you have this participatory storytelling, whether it's by giving the player agency, giving the player tools to express themselves uh, to mm-hmm. other people or giving them a way to share their story to more people, you know, versus... So, so that's why I'm wondering if that pre-made story content generation is is what adventure games of the '90s did, and mm. that's something that's going to be fading out, or do you feel that it's going to be still there and it, it might even surpass what's happening now, where you see these um, simulator type storytelling and um, social media type storytelling? I think that the you know the adventure game kind of paradigm is not going to fade out completely it's always going to be there and i think i i I do like those games and i think they're worth having and i think that the you know the kind of more social media driven kind of games are going to get more and more popular and that's totally fine as well uh what i think makes landing place between those two is that you mentioned the idea of player expression. And I think player expression has a kind of weight to it in a world which has been if you know what I mean. Like, um, if you're playing Planescape Torment, you're a character in a predefined world, but your actions are not predefined. And I think that lends a certain weight to your actions, which it's not telling us your own story in the same way but it's affecting a story in a very interesting way which you don't get in many other um That's, in many other kinds yeah. of game yeah and the question is 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 that level of expression just as engaging or powerful 
as you see with you know the the agency type of expression you see in these 3d simulators or even with social media i think so i think it can be it, i think it depends on how well it's done uh, to, to begin with but i think it definitely can be um and it's because if you are in a space that's right as a setting um and you're interacting with other characters who are interesting in their own right as characters the ability to affect those things isn't something you would get with a world where it's all based around the player um, as expression rather than the player's expression and the player's impacts on the stuff around them. Um, And, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that any one method is right. Um, There's one method that interests me as a developer more than others, but I will play the, I'll play the other games. (laughs) Definitely. Um, You know, probably too much. And I think, they're great um it's just a matter of what interests me and i think there's still space for these kind of games definitely okay and and you know for your creative energy where Mm. where do you see games playing a role um i guess now now that you've had more experience you know you've had experience writing now you're Mm. getting more experience with games what what are your thoughts on on the role that games will play in your creative direction moving forward I think um, games are what I want to focus on because there, you know, there's so many, there's very many interesting things you can do with games which are unexplored at this point. Um, and I've got far too many ideas to ever do. Um, I think I know, I know already what kind of thing I want to go with after, um, however long in the future, one inch the house of many doors. Although I'd rather not talk about it now because otherwise, because then I'll feel committed to it. Sure. But, but you know, I know that there's just a lot of room left. It's a med- it's a medium which is flourishing. It's very young. It's got exciting places to go, um, narratively as well as um, in you know terms of technology and mechanics. You know, there, there's just I think that's kind of the inclusivity of games. Almost is that the reason games like um, AAA games will have these massive teams is because games incorporate art and music and coding and writing. And it's a lot of diff- disciplines all converging in a way that even movies with all of their you know, massive crews yeah. can't quite match. Um, and that is one of the things that makes games special, I think. And that is one of the reasons it's so exciting. It's so exciting to be a developer in today's space because I can choose something like a narrative and decide, I want to explore narrative a bit in terms of how it works in games. And I know that there's dozens of other people doing that, and there's hundreds of other people doing the same thing for mechanics or for how far you can push the technology or the graphical fidelity. Um, every boundary that you can think of is being pushed at the moment, and that's tremendously exciting. Okay. And would you say that you're spending more time now with game developers or with writers? Um, I would say... A mix of the two, but game developers, um, definitely. And I, I, I think that's just because, you know, that's what I'm doing. And I would call myself a game developer rather than a writer at this point. I think writing is just something that I would, I want to use in my game development. I'm sure I've, um, practiced 
is that and will make me things that will make me stand out. But uh, if I do stand out, um, hopefully. But I don't think I would call myself primarily a writer. Okay. Games are what I want to do. Okay, cool. Um, so I would say that um, this will be the this ends the first half of the interview, and uh, we'll take a short break, um, and okay. then we'll continue with the second half. So. Um, thanks again for your time. And for the audience out there, what, once again, where can they find out more information about your game? Um, they can go games.com. Okay, so pixeltrickerygames.com. Pixeltrickery is the... Yes. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care.